almost didn't include this next recording in our podcast. And that is because I... So let's begin with the fact that this particular podcast is a very personal podcast. Not in the sense that I reveal a lot about myself, but in the sense that the issues that I'm addressing are potentially very individual to myself. So I'm, I'm editing the podcast and I'm listening to it and I'm trying to make sense of things. And I, I'm hearing myself talk about games in this really important way. And it's at the same time that I'm hearing about people going through really bad struggles with hurricanes and earthquakes and things of that nature. And so I, I'm feeling kind of guilty for having, <laughs> for having a, a discussion about the anxiety of having uh, too many games or having to get rid of games or something like that. And so I, I thought it was a little bourgeois <laughs> and a little bit uh, uh, ridiculous for me to to comment or talk about something that is so minimal in the grand scheme of things. However, what this podcast does mark is a moment in my life where I kind of came to grips with this idea that the the things that I've held on to in my life are all going to go away eventually or are all going to be at some point defunct and so it's not so much about the stuff it's about the effort and time that is put into collecting something and procuring something and making something that is connected to your personality and then having to let it go that's the existential crisis I talk about in this particular episode Uh, you know Brian and I discuss identity and gaming but what it really comes down to for me is that when I moved into my new house, I had this moment of realizing that all these efforts that I put into past activities have come around to a point of not showing any worth anymore. And so it's, it's an awareness of that particular way of seeing things. So if it sounds bougie, if it sounds ridiculous then I'm on board with that because I realize that in the grand scheme of things, while games are an incredible, incredible hobby and tool, they don't compare to other people's struggles. And I wouldn't even say that they did. For someone to say, I'm so upset about getting rid of stuff, is just, it's probably the epitome of uh, of uh, sort of... Uh, hoarding mentality maybe I don't know anyway I, I wanted to give you that caveat before you walk into this episode and and listen to me whine <laughs> about ownership and loss of ownership and things of that nature uh, moving just has an impact on your psyche in the sense that you're ungrounding everything that you've had and regrounding it somewhere else and in the process there's going to be an excise a sense of loss because whatever you leave behind is what you've lost. Hopefully that <laughs> hopefully that helps frame this episode. But if you listen to it and enjoy it, I thank you for listening. If you listen to it and it resonates, I thank you for that as well. Um, so, here we go. Here is our episode on gaming and ownership and the existential crisis that comes with loss of stuff. <laughs> enjoy. Welcome to Rolling for Change, a podcast about the transformative nature of gaming. My name is Woody Harris, and I am joined by my good friends, Josue Cardona. Hello. Hey, and uh, Brian Peace. Um, you guys will have to forgive me. You're either going to get Isaac Hayes or you're going to get Peter Brady. I went to a Cowboy Mouth concert last night, and my voice is screwed. <laughs> That's okay. I like, I like Isaac Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I sat next to Isaac Hayes at his restaurant in uh, Memphis. That was a, a good experience. He didn't oh, talk nice. to me. I didn't talk to him. He had two pretty girls on <clears> either <throat> side of him, and he was doing business stuff. <laughs> Were they playing games? 
<laughs> no. I don't know if Isaac Hayes plays games or played games. Um, but he except may be that a, he was a, a, a fun actor and a great singer. And you got to listen to his voice, which is always a plus. Absolutely. And I, may- I so wanted it – was, it was during the time of uh, <clears throat> when South Park was really big, so I want to say, hey, chef, but I did not do it. <laughs> Hello, children. <laughs> anyway, we are here to talk about board games – we're here to talk about board games and identity, um, and and this is going to be a little bit of a crazy show because it's actually probably going to be more therapeutic uh, than it's going to be clear what we're talking about. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But uh, you know, you guys know that I was uh, I'm in the midst of a move, or I have moved into a new house. It's been a very uh, existential process because I've had to experience like a sense of there's a sense of loss that's going on because I. I've been a collector of things throughout my life. I wouldn't call myself a hoarder unless it was just kind of a part-time hobby. I mean, but, I would, but, you know. Uh, no one asked you. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so I just – so to begin with, I was a collector of, of uh, compact discs for a very long time. My oldest compact disc is 30 years old or, or maybe around that time, um, and I collected a lot over the course of uh, maybe a third of my life. That's a crazy thing to say as it is. But they all got kind of shoved to the side. Uh, we had some floods that moved, uh, that s- destroyed our containers for them, and we put them in uh, plastic bins and put them in the garage and kept them there forever. So now it's been maybe 10 to 15 years since I've actually done anything with those CDs. That's a strange feeling. Um, and still collecting a little bit off and on, but nothing like I used to do, where I was just like, I had to have music, I had to have music, I had to have music. So now they're in piles in my new garage, and I kind of don't know what to do with them. But this brought me to a more critical point, which is kind of what this podcast will be about, is I have now have a, a big collection of board games. And, you know, we did the show on uh, Acquisition Disorder, which I may have a real acquisition disorder. But um, I'm coming to the realization that the new house doesn't allow me as much space as the old house did in terms of spreading out my board game collection. And I'm working with trying to streamline that by having the right cases and, and having the right space for everything. But I just kind of realized that <clears throat> I'm going to have to probably let go of some stuff, even while I'm still building stuff. And so the question came to me, and, and this is where we'll all jump in and talk. The question came to me as to, you know, there are people at Gen Con this weekend. There are about 200 to 300 new games that people are paying attention to and that are going on people's shelves now. And I'm enamored of maybe 100 of those games. And, of course, they have no place to go in my house and I don't have the money to buy them. So we get to this point where board games start to be more about what is your board game collection as opposed to your board game collection. How do we self-identify within our gaming world? And this can can work for uh, any stuff we carry around with us. But, you know, in a world where board games are growing, the whole system is growing. Like, we've seen the board game industry over the past five to ten years expand exponentially. And more people have joined the hobby. There are 70,000 people in Gen Con this weekend all vying for board games and playing board games and checking out new board games. There's a whole host of designers consistently making these. And we get excited about them all, but there are levels where it's like, how do I differentiate my collection enough to say, this is my identity, my board game identity, or my gaming identity, and how do I find sort of a way to let go of those things that are not part of board game identity? Does this make sense to you guys? Am I... Am I clear on what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. So for me, it, it's it's asking the question and for us to discuss, what, what does it mean to have a board game collection that establishes a space that is your identity? Well, folks, we were really excited to talk to Josue today, but something is uh, kind of breaking our connection, and so we're going to, Brian and I are going to go on without him and uh, sadly leave our teammate behind in hopes of finding help for him. So, yeah, Brian. We're, <laughs> yeah, we're going to Leroy Jenkins right through it, man. Just barrel on through and damn the consequences. 
I'm, I'm really sorry to say I don't know the reference. I'll have to fix that after the show. Uh, okay. All right. All right. So, Brian, you, you kind of understand where I'm at, what I'm talking about here. I I know that you recently went through your own purge. and An involuntary I, I hope, purge. Exactly. Well, and this is going to be a little bit of an involuntary purge as well. You know, I, I don't want to get to a point where I'm like, I can only have this X number of games, and if I get more than that, I've got to take games away. But I think that's where it's headed. And I, I think that... So ownership is a problem overall, right? The world does not continue without our existence in it, meaning that all of our items of value, if unattended for a certain amount of time, will no longer be of value. That just seems to be the crux of it all. The center cannot hold. That whole speech is there. And yep. uh, so we have to constantly attend to what it is in the world that is ours in order to keep from breakdown happening. We are the opposite of entropy. We are organizers. We do our best to keep things solid, safe, and real. And going through, you know, I, I went and looked up CDs break down in 30 years, supposedly. Yeah. Uh, audio tapes break down in four to five years. Um, DAT tapes a little bit longer, maybe up to 10 years. Um, hard drives break down in two to three years. So no matter what, when we're dealing with media that's not stone tablets and books, we've got to deal with the the sh limited shelf life of our media. This doesn't apply to board games as much because we're constantly giving our attention to it. We're fixing things up. We're pimping our games out to make them last longer. And people are making higher quality games so that water can still destroy them. Elements can still destroy them. But for the most part, if you keep them safe on a shelf... They're not going to break down tremendously over time. But what is going to happen is you're going to get this huge connect collection of games, and suddenly you're going to be like, I really want that game right there. In, in my case, there are a few that I wanted at Gen Con, but the most important one to me was the release of Legendary 007, oh, which I'm yeah. just so excited about. But knowing that that's coming, and knowing that I have all these Kickstarters coming, <clears throat> I start to realize I have to differentiate my collection to be about me because you're going to differentiate your collection to be about you. And what I'm looking at is how do we self-identify within our game collection? How do we make sure that, like, yeah, if you think about it, okay, let's say 10 of us all say that we're going to be part of a board game conglomeration. We're going to be the people who are going to own the games that we want to own, and you're going to own these, you're going to own these, and I'm going to own these. So we have access to them. We just don't have them, right? I, I think you and I do that a lot right now. Um, but in order to get bigger collections, we have to have a, a, a more extended group of friends to make it work and, and make right. sure basically that none of us have duplicates because we're all going to try to play together kind of thing. But then I get to the question of, well, how do I self-identify within my game collection? And yeah. I, I don't have an answer right now. I just have, uh, you know, my my existential crisis and trying to figure out how to to make things work in the space that I'm in. Well, I mean, I identify you by looking at your game collection and realizing that you have fewer than some of than some other people I know of take that games. You don't like the yes. meanness aspect of those, whereas some people relish the idea of beating their opponents into the ground that's just not your thing it's not who you are um it's not a universal thing you like a few take that games where the sure. fun quotient is balanced by the inherent meanness in some actions and in some cases the meanness is mitigated somewhat by the actual enjoyment of the gameplay um, I have a little more tolerance for um, Take That games. Um, for instance, I like a lot of hidden movement games where a bunch of people are trying to find one person, one versus many, like uh, Fury of Dracula, where one person plays Dracula. Trying Letters to... from Whitechapel. I oh, love yeah, that game. Yeah. I can't, I can't get people to play it with me that often, but I love that game. And th I've that doesn't never, feel that way to I've me. I've never actually played that, and I've always wanted to, so we're going to have to make that happen. Absolutely. It's sat on the shelf a little too long. Um, yeah. So this is where we get to, though. Uh, you're right. 
I, I don't like take that games. And so there are categories of games that I may not have on the shelf. And I may have bigger, I may have a larger conglomeration of worker placement games because I really enjoy worker placement games. Um, but let's say that I've identified I'm a worker placement guy. I collect worker placement games. And I've there's still over a thousand worker placement games that I enjoy. Now I've got to pare down to what I like in the worker placement category. And so it becomes, you know, what, it, how does your game collection reflect you? And I'll, I'll just throw that out to you right now. Do you have, do you have a type of game or do you have a, a sort of categorical system that keeps you, these are my games. This is the kind of thing that Brian would want. These are self-identified, like almost like a game genome. So right. that your game genome is much different than David Skoog or Josue Cardona, if he was a board game player, or you know anybody that we might have on the show, or even we even, talk our, to. even our wives. I mean, we have games that they like that we're not fans of, and games True. that we like that they're not fans of. But either they're enough of a fan of it that they can tolerate playing it, or that they say, "Okay, that's cool. You have that game. Whenever you go to play it, I will just I won't be there. Do something that's fun." exactly so in my collection i i have a lot of worker placement games because it's one of the points of um synthesis between my taste and ginger's tastes yeah and if you're with a significant other who also plays games you find that there's that synthesis where you tend to buy more games that match both of your tastes and fewer games that match only your tastes which means I really love negotiation games mm-hmm. where you try to play with the minds of other people and try to guess what their their personalities like and try to play on that to try to in, try to better yourself. Um, like uh, I can't remember the name the name of the game we played at Dice Tower Con. Um, oh, it was uh, um, good, not good fellas, good critters. No, no, no. Good Critters, yes, Um, where I pitted everybody against each other and kept making these bizarre decisions that didn't seem to make sense to anyone else. We talked about it, I think, a couple episodes ago. Yeah, Those are my kind of games because I love that. I love push-your-luck games because I'm either going to win spectacularly or lose just as spectacularly. Exactly, yeah. I do like push-your-luck. Yeah. So those are the games that you'll see me gravitate toward. Um, Any kind of really thematic superhero style game. I love Legendary Legendary Marvel. It's one of my favorite games. Um, I was just looking earlier at my most played games just in my collection to see what they were. And the most played game I have is Las Vegas. Which is a yeah, pusher, okay. which is a pusher luck game. Yes, it is. Roll dice, place one specific number die on a specific space, and push your luck to see if you can roll more dice than other people for that, and end up getting the highest amount of money. Or if there are three different amounts of money there, trying to sneak right in the middle while everyone mm-hmm. else is fighting over the ninety thousand dollar casino you're trying to fight for three different ones that have maybe 50 that other people aren't looking at yeah like yes i got the 90 i said yeah that's lovely i got 150 what are you gonna do (laughs) right (laughs) um second most is marvel legendary which i've already mentioned yes another one a very thematic game very rich storytelling are the legacy games risk legacy and pandemic legacy season one are some of my most played games Yes. Again, I going back to that. that. Again, going back to that one versus many betrayal at House on the Hill. Uh huh. Another push your luck ink and gold slash diamond, depending on which version you have. Yep. And of course, Lords of Waterdeep, one of Ginger's favorite games, which I end up playing a lot. Yeah. So those kind of games, you'll notice that I tend to have a lot of one versus many. Yeah, I think many. I'm higher on the thematic. Yeah. Also, I mean, we tend to like thematic games a lot here. The downside to many thematic games is a lot of them end up being um, take that games. So you got to find a happy medium there. Yeah. So the legendary series is is typically not typically not a take that kind of no game. no. Um, it's it's typically cooperative. In fact, after the Marvel game, where there's kind of a 
you're you're working together but at the end of the game you count up how many points worth of villains you're able to beat and there's technically a winner so it's semi-cooperative mm-hmm. no none of the other legendary games have that aspect they're all completely cooperative okay so yeah that's a good thing yeah i think in the alien versus predator like when you combine the alien and predator decks then you do have kind of a competition going on but typically it's you against the aliens right but alien versus predator it's kind of inherent that there's some competition there because yeah. that's the name of yeah. the game so so you're if there's a game genome kind of thing then you're kind of like if it's a marvel game i'm going to have it oh yeah um if it's uh maybe superhero related you're probably going to have it dc deck builders another fantastic game dc I love is it. great uh, I don't know if you saw it, but I, I tweeted this out to you, that there is a new Marvel living card game from Fantasy Flight. No, I haven't seen that. Came out this weekend. <laughs> this Gen Con weekend. I tend to shy away from living card games because like Magic the Gathering, you really have to focus on how you build your deck. And you know, th- I don't get into that granular an obsession. Um because it well, takes at least up with too living much card time. games, it's just you get this set of cards, and that's the cards that everybody has. So it's not, and right. you know, it's game in a box. So when we pull the box open, it's not like you bring your game and I bring my game, and we put them together. Right, they're the same cards, but still, you tend to build a deck. You do out of those cards, and you that do. that amount of obsession is just not something that I can allow myself the time and leisure to work with. And I tend to shy away from uh, card battle games, so I, it's not right. an immediate take it for me. Um, but you know, because I try, I, I tried to like some of those card battle games. I really did. It just doesn't like Doomtown. Doomtown, I was really excited about when I saw it at Gen Con a few years ago, and it's just uh, it feels clunky for me. So we are talking about self-identifying within the game world. But I'll bet that there are things on your shelf that you wouldn't say are quote-unquote Brian games that aren't gender games either. They're just games that you keep for some reason. Right, and those are on my trade list right now. So if you're looking looking for games to trade or buy, you can always look on my Board Game Geek list, which is, you know, my name on Board Game Geek is B-Peace. Go look for it. If you see a game you like, hey, let me know. Hit me up. There you go. So yeah, we're we're looking to diversify our collections to match our personalities, and you know there are game type systems. Like I remember there was one by, uh, uh, I can't remember the company now. There's a company that did a board game. Uh, it's like a, um, I won't say genotype, but it's a typogram for uh, board game enjoyment. So it kind of identified your type of board game enjoyer. By saying, okay, you're an analytical and you like uh, social games. And so it would pull it all to part. I, I wish I could remember the name of that company. Um, but it was one of my favorite uh, kind of identification systems. Yeah, the I, remember see, I, remember, like. I remember seeing that and playing with it whenever it first came out. And then it kind of fell off the radar because I couldn't remember the name of it. Well, that that's the problem. I think it was a company that, I think the company's still out there. I think they, you know, you'll still find it. If you look for it, it just... Uh... Okay, folks, the the uh, identifying program is called Quantic. Um, Quantric, if you want to go and... Quantic Foundry. Quantic Foundry. If you want to go and create your own board game profile, you can go in there and it'll, you'll go through a series of questions. It takes about five to seven minutes to take this questionnaire and it will identify the kind of game you like. So, in a sense, it's a game genome for you. But I, I think... Brian, I think we're going to have to go even deeper than that in terms of, if you think about it, if you go to a board game convention, even just a regular local gathering of friends where people are putting games on the on the walls and, and we can go around and pick games that we want to play, you'll probably find at least 100 that you want to play, if not more. Oh, yeah. So, and our time is limited. This is another aspect to this entire sort of identification thing is, how many board games can you have before you run out of time to play them all in a year? Probably very little, actually. And then the other thing about not having like having a large amount of board games means that we do not play any one game that often. 
So I can say that my most played game without looking at Board Game Geek, because I know that I'm not done a good job at keeping up with that anyway, is uh, Terra Mystica. I, I've probably played yeah. it uh, upwards above 20 times, which is a lot for me in a board game. And, and I could say that Lords of Waterdeep has, has definitely reached that level as well. Um, it's a lot of good games that that are in that sort of top echelon. But then there are games on my shelf that are I was excited about. They're still wrapped. Uh, I still want to play them, but I haven't gotten to them because other things catch my attention and because learning games takes time. And there's just so much that goes into this. And I'm trying to find the best way to let go of things that don't matter and enhance the things that do. Is that crazy? No. Well... Crazy is relative. Sure. <laughs> My relatives are anyway. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> but, so, does it make sense? Because, as I've thought about this, it's kind of nebulous almost. Like, I don't really know how to impart the series of thoughts that brought me to a space that said, I've got to kind of identify this. But I felt like it was important. Yeah, I mean... I had, like you were talking about, you're having to pare down your collection because of lack of space. Well, my house that, that we're renovating has so much space for games, which is why I'm thinking, hey, you know, you want to offload some games and you're not looking for money. I can store them for you. <laughs> <laughs> I've got space. Like I said earlier, just be ready. I'm you're, I'm either going to be Peter Brady or Isaac Hayes. My my, my voice is shot. This that was concert last night was fantastic. Anyway, because um, so I can notice my voice starting to crack a little bit. My situation was, um, as I may have mentioned on a previous show, I taught seventh grade one year, and it was before I was fully diagnosed as bipolar depressive as well. Um, so I was in a bad place anyway, and seventh graders take you to an even worse place. It's bad enough as it is without, you know, the the emotional issues. So I quit that job at the end of the year, and I stopped teaching for an entire year and tried to go on a different educational route to see if I could get a different career because I had almost decided to stop teaching altogether. Um, I had that much of a existential crisis. So in order to go to this other schooling, this other training, I needed to get up money, serious money. And so I started selling off board games. Well, I had a bunch of games that we really didn't play that much, and I didn't mind selling, so I sold those first. Didn't quite get up as much money as I needed, so I started going to games that I really like, but Ginger didn't like so much. So I sold those off, and then I got to the really painful stuff. Where I'd start making real decisions on which games I was getting rid of. I went from about 260 games to my current game count of 235. So I sold off over 200 games, which broke my heart. And I'm gradually building that collection back up, but not as fast as my inner Veruca would like. (laughs) Um, But I, I can look at my... Uh, must-have list, which is what I made afterward, looking at my list and saying, I must have this game back, I must have that game back. Mm -hmm. And going over with Ginger, what do you think about this one? Should I bump it down to love to have because you're not a fan? And we've made, uh, yeah, I I spreadsheet things. (laughs) Yeah. In this case, I curate my list on BoardGameGeek, so I have every game I own on BoardGameGeek. Every game I used to own is on previously owned. Okay. (laughs) Because I like, I'm OCD as well, so I have to keep track of all that. It drives me nuts if I don't know at a glance. So, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of games that I completely identify with that I had to sell. And then there were the games which Ginger termed, "You, I will sell them when you pry them for my cold dead hands game. <laughs> and there was another subsection of games that if I sell them, Ginger will make sure I have cold, dead hands. <laughs> right. So your your absolute primary best and her absolute primary best basically not going anywhere. 
And in case the listeners are wondering why the ladies aren't here having this discussion with us, Woody, Woody and Susie just bought a new house, and the ladies are all off at a five or six lady IKEA trip. <laughs> which, you know, they wanted to be on the show, but IKEA was calling. Swedish meatballs must be consumed, and that's where they went. Absolutely, and and of course, one of the purchases that that uh, Susie is hoping to make is more Calax shelves. Yes. <laughs> Which, folks, if you don't have Calax shelves, I got to tell you, they hold those perfectly square board game boxes perfectly. Oh yeah, um, they're they're fantastic for that. And if you get the right additions, like Woody has, they hold those little card games perfectly too, in little subdivided shelves. Yeah, that's and, an, that was incredible. I, I love that. I'm jealous. I don't have any of those subdividers, but it's coming. Yeah, yeah. That that that, that part was really. Just a, a wake-up call to be able to say, oh, I can put my card games in there. Oh, I do have to mention one more shout-out for my top games I've ever played because, friend of the show, Flashpoint Fire Rescue is up there in my top 10 most played Absolutely, games I've ever played. Yeah. So. I do enjoy Flashpoint quite a lot, but I haven't played it in a while. So th this is what it, you know, I don't want to get rid of games, Brian. I really don't. I want to streamline my collection so that, number one, I know my games so I can teach my games. I want to streamline it so that there's no fluff in there whatsoever. If it's something you know that I say I really want to play, but I haven't played for like five years, and I haven't had a reason to, like it's always been, yeah, but let's do this instead. It feels like that's a point which you might say, well, maybe that doesn't belong there. But I'm really not trying to get rid of games. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to contain them all, and that's not going to happen. That's what I'm really realizing about moving to a new house. We moved to a place with probably greater square feet in the interior of the house, but we don't have a basement that is particularly just devoted to games. We don't have a sunroom that is just devoted to books. And so I am coming to a point where it's like things are millstones around my neck. They are just carry these things with you. And even if you haven't paid any attention to them in the past 10, 20 years, they're still with you. Oh, another um, idea, a friend of another mutual friend of ours keeps his board games in an upstairs guest room. Yes, he has all those shelves in an upstairs guest room. Now, getting those shelves upstairs would not be a problem um, for you because they come in boxes. You take them upstairs, then build them and put them up. Sure. Your problem in this house is you have a lot of real estate, but most of it is broken up into really big, nice windows and yeah. curved spaces where it's really hard to put in a shelf because the, the individual walls are smaller than you'd like. Yeah. So, I mean, in your basement game area, there was nothing but walls with only a handful of windows. It's true. Um, so it's true. that's what that's the problem you're running into is you have a lot of real estate, but not a lot of lengthy real estate that is friendly to Calax shelves. Yes. Um, so, and and here's the thing. Like I said, I'm not wanting to get rid of games, but I wanted to identify. You know, if we are going to say that I want my games to reflect me. Mm-hmm and your games to reflect you, and person X's games to reflect them, such that when the creators and the priests of our, of our religion, so to speak, bring from their Mecca, their trip to Gen Con, these, um, these relics that they are going to bring into our world in the next four weeks, we're going to see them filter into our world, um, that there is, if there's something that is more identified with me than something else that's on my shelf that's less identified with me and I have less space than I want, then that something that is identified less with me is going to go away. Right. And so then we come to, well, how do I define that? And I, I like the idea that you took it apart by, by sort of the, the mechanism. Right. So I know worker placements will stay if they're good worker placements. I know that card battle games won't stay, but that's pretty much not an issue for me because I don't really have card battle games. Um, I know that more abstract games, I don't play them as often. I play more thematic games. Right. 
so the, the paring down is is just a I've said it, it's an existential crisis it's it's um there's there's this concept in existentialism that uh there's always a hole things are never full there's always a hole somewhere and that hole is the emptiness and the emptiness has been let me fill this emptiness up with games let me fill this emptiness up with with uh CDs with, let me fill this emptiness up with sound systems and whatever you know whatever joy i can grant you know you're always looking for generating the joy generating something but the very act of generating something means you take something from the world and put it in that hole and now there's a hole where you took something from the world it's just hard because i'm talking about just saying, yep, I have a hole, and I'm not going to fill the hole. That's what I'm talking about here. And that comes into contact with my identity as a consumer, my identity as a person who likes things. Right. And that's going on all over my house right now. Because if you move, you are going to come face-to-face with all the stuff that you have put aside and... There's almost a little guilt with it because it's um, I've been hoarding all these things. I'm not going off to be a recluse in a cave. That's not going to happen. If even if I was you know going to go off and live in a cave, I'd probably take a board game collection with me, and I'd probably take a some kind of MP3 player full of music with me. So that's not what's happening. And we're not talking about a desert island ten or something like that where I'm saying, okay, I'm just going to have ten games that I pay attention to. And you're not looking. You're not looking at Jones theorying either, where you say I only have this many games. No, in, ge- in general, just because I want to pare down. No, I'm. I'm. Yeah, it's. It's. Uh, I think there's a lot here that I haven't discovered yet, and I was hoping by talking with you and by talking with Hostway, I'd find more answers. Mm-hmm. But I feel just as lost as when I started. <laughs> Well, I'm glad to have been of service. <laughs> it was no, it was no, um, it was no put upon you. <laughs> it's just an awareness that I'm having, and uh, yeah, I'm not sure where else to to take our discussion here. Um, well, one place we can take it is um, in. Uh, how you can curate your collection based also on what your friends like. Cause that's, that's, right that's, there, one, yeah. that's one of the ways that I curate my collection. Ginger always says, well, Woody and Susie have this game. We can play it at their house. And sometimes it means enough to me that I say, that's lovely, but I want the thing. Yes. And yes. sometimes it, it, that's enough for her to say, well, okay. If it means that much to you, we get the thing. And sometimes she says, really? Do we honestly need this? To which I reply, do we honestly need anything in life? (laughs) Is anything really necessary? Did you need to pimp out Lords of Waterdeep? Or was that something you just wanted? And that's how I usually... That's how I usually get the, uh, the games that I want is by pointing out, well, you know... You 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 have meeples and real and coins for you know. Your you game. use the 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 logical fallacy argument. You are one, which is basically you know, um, I'll point out your flaws so that my flaws are legitimized. No, I point out her positive things so that I can point out to her that my flaws <laughs> either, either way are not, it's, it's... I, are not actually flaws. They are attributes. Sure. Don't judge I, sure, me. I, I can accept that. <laughs> um, it's it's still a fallacious argument, and I like it because I use it a lot. I use it a lot on Susie. Um, you know, it, it's that argument when you uh, someone points out the 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 a a behavior in you that uh, they have themselves, and then. You point out to them, well, you have this behavior yourself, so therefore, how can you come down on me? Right. But in terms of the logic of the situation, there's a logic that stands outside of that consideration. And so um, that's the you are one. 
logical don't, fallacy. Don't speak to me of logic, sir. <laughs> well, and maybe that's what we're getting at. Maybe these are very emotional decisions we're talking about. Right. It's... When I talk about Terra Mystica, I haven't played it in a long time. Well, primarily because people found so much joy in Gaia Project, and I didn't find all that joy in Gaia Project, but no, the people who neither. found joy in Gaia Project were the people I was playing Terra Mystica with. I will totally take that bullet for you because I don't like Gaia Project that much either. And I don't know why. When you know, when I heard about it, Terra Mystica in space, I was really excited. Me but too. But when it comes down to it, I, I think I need something more colorful on the table, something that has more thematic presence. And I'm so happy to say that there are two expansions coming out for Terra Mystica in the very near future. And that will hopefully pull people's eyes away from Gaia Project for a little while and I can start playing my beloved Terra Mystica again. Yeah, and also, just like any other expansion slash reworking, they try to incorporate new mechanisms, new things. And I didn't feel like Terra Mystica needed anything particularly different. I loved the game the way it was. And I'm perfectly happy still playing that one. And people are like, oh, there's so much more to this. Well, you know, sometimes more isn't better. Well, in, in my case, uh, Gaia Project is uh, indistinct to me. It doesn't have, I don't have a clear understanding of the mechanisms, and I also don't feel connected to the theme. Because right. the theme, I guess, is basically that you're going through the universe and you're, you're uh, recreating planets into spaces that you can live on. Right. Um, you're terraforming, basically. Um, but it's not... It doesn't feel the same. I can't explain it. I, I don't think I'll be able to explain it to people who love the Gaia Project game. Um, I'm not getting rid of my copy of Gaia Project, but it's one that certainly sits at the lower rung of any kind of list of, of hierarchy. Um, it just doesn't make it for me. So those kind of moments are things where I, you know we're thrown back on ourselves and we say, okay, now that nobody wants to play the, our favorite games, are our favorite games worth keeping anymore? And I, I say, of course they are, but it it makes it um, more difficult to get the game to the table if other people aren't playing it. Well, you know, I really, in some ways, love... Uh, oh, God, brain. Um, are you a werewolf? It's a good... Werewolf, yes, I love werewolf, werewolf actually. It's a, it's a great late night. My brain is shutting down but I still want to play game. It's, it's a great yeah. social game yeah. where logic is thrown out the window and you just do what feels right. You know, you, you, you kill the guy with, with a hairy face cause he's obviously a werewolf cause of the hair on the face and new people <laughs> are like, that makes no logical sense. And everybody in the group's going, you just tried to use logic on werewolf. That does not compute. You don't do that. It's it's werewolf. You don't use logic. That takes all the fun out of it. This is a mob mentality game. Well, there are things that, I mean, so yeah, there are Eventu late night games. Eventually, you kind of try to start using logic, and it really doesn't work anyway because it's an illogical game. Spock would hate it. <laughs> yes, he would. There, there's a criteria. <laughs> Just go through, and which ones would Spock keep? <laughs> no, because then we'd only have abstract games. What would the Spock say? Fascinating. Um, <laughs> and then he'd raise an eyebrow at you. Why do we yes, have zombies? That's yes. fascinating. That is highly illogical. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so we, we I, maybe, the, and then the Captain Kirk gangs are going to be the ones that are like the Ameritrash. Oh, he would definitely play uh, Take That Games. Yes. Fizzman was a, a Take That Game. Yeah. The game he created. Um, true, very true. So there, there are ways to characterize our games, I guess. Right. And a lot of the games that I like, you'll find, are by the same designers. I have specific designers whose way of thinking matches mine. We we kind of grok each other game wise. Yeah. Um, Stefan Feld is one Stephen of my Feld, favorites, yeah. and um. David Satterfield, friend of the show, uh, got to meet him. Met Stephen Feld Gen this weekend. Met him at Gen Con, and I was, I was alternately 
happy for him and thoroughly jealous because he looks like a really nice guy because he was just all smiles. And I love people like that. Um, so, yeah, part of me was jealous and part of me was like, awesome, you met one of my people. I think um, I've fairly well established to anyone I've talked to how much I love Stefan Feld games, but how much I wanted them to slap his face if they met him because of his colorblind uh, issues. His and colorblind I, blindness. Yes, his colorblind <laughs> blindness, yes. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure nobody slapped him in the face, but I hope, I pray that somebody said something to Stefan Feld about color. Yeah. I'd never even seen the guy before. And and we see this picture from our friend David Satterfield come through with uh he's all smiles. It's like, you know, put your hand put your arm around and get a picture and then put your hands around his neck because you know Satterfield has substantially <laughs> large hands and say, by the way, colorblind. Think about it. <laughs> but do it after you get the fun picture so you, you get the happy absolutely. picture. And don't hurt him to the point that, you know, we want more games. Well, you we just don't want him hurt to him, start just... taking me into account. No, it's all you, about I mean, you... me, me, me. Yeah, you don't hurt him. You just put your hands around his throat as if to say, I could hurt you, but you're yeah. going to be nice to colorblind people in the future, right? <laughs> <laughs> be nice to Woody. He's a good guy. Because that's what it's really all about. Be nice to Woody. It, it is. It, it's be nice to Woody. That's... that's uh... That should be that's everyone's the new goal shirt in life. That's coming out for Rolling for Change. You'll have a shirt that says "Be nice to Woody." Yeah, <laughs> unless you're playing, unless you're playing Twilight Imperium, in which case all bets are off. Snap, crackle, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Well, I don't know if we've gotten anywhere, Brian. Um, I just needed to have this discussion, and uh, I think I'm going to end up uh, continuing to stoke my own creative fires and trying to, to resolve this problem. Um, but I'd, I'd love to hear from anybody who wants to talk about this and kind of give me their own take on how do you, how do you pare down? How do you, I mean, this is kind of this, this episode is kind of acquisition disorder part two, but it's, it's, it's closer more, to, it's closer to D acquisition disorder. Yeah. It's more strategic than that. Like I'm, I'm right. trying to determine, is there a strategic way to manage my board game collection that makes sense to me and it'll have it'll have something to do with organization it'll have something to do with my you know this is one thing I, I talked to my therapist this week about this I, I, I loved the idea of getting a PhD and I really wanted to get a PhD but the one thing I didn't like about a PhD was you're basically saying you're going to cast all other ideas aside and focus pinpoint like on one specific aspect of something very important to you and I realize I'm more of a generalist in the sense that I I like lots of things I want all the things to be in the world and not just some small conglomerate of them so if I want some if I want all of the things I have to have other people keep them for me because I can't myself keep them I have to keep what is me I'm hearing like I gotta be me. Who else could I be but me? But that—that's—that's that's what's going on here. Is—is that—that's is, uh, linking me back to the money pit again? Well, I'm not in a money pit anymore. I'm in a space absence. Yes. <laughs> and here's the thing, folks. I absolutely love my new house. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a great place to play games and set up. I just want it to flow and be efficient. You want meaningful. some gaming feng shui. Yes. That's that's what this is. This is gaming feng shui. Right. How do you make your how do you make your collection flow? How do you keep things that how do you keep the speed bumps out of the collection? That's a, it's a tough question. It's going to take some serious once overing of uh, twice overing and third overing of the collection to try to figure out what belongs and what doesn't belong. But I, I'm excited about the prospect. I just uh, it's it's about letting go, and letting go is not easy. Unless you're you know Ella. Ella. Oh, I forget. I have children. <laughs> I have I have girl children. Frozen. 
Oh, Ella. yeah, okay. I'll let it go. Got it. Now, yeah. if, you, if you sang it, I would know it. But I'm like, um, wait, I'm totally going in that direction, aren't I? I'm going in the dad. I'm going in the dad of a girl collect. Because my son wasn't really as into that movie. But my daughter, holy God. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good movie. I thought it was a great movie. Um, it's not like my son yes. didn't like it, but my daughter was listening to that song a lot at one point. And see, my my mind went to Paul McCartney and Wings. I feel like Fair letting enough. go. Fair um, enough. Which I'm not going to let go of Paul McCartney and Wings. <laughs> oh, God, no. Why would you do something mad like that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. And so that that's the point of it all, you know. I was calling with uh, Susie through the books, and we're like, "How do we have a a organizational system that says we're going to get rid of some, but not all of the books?" And it came down to, "Would I read it again? Would I recommend it? Have I bought it within the last five years? If it met those three, one of those three criteria, it stayed. Um, you know, was it special to me, basically?" Right, and we were able to get rid of maybe about twenty books as a result of that, but that's not a lot. <laughs> I also have a different way of getting rid of books, which is, um, is this book going to do me any good? Yeah, that's and a good way to it, do it too. And if it doesn't, would it do someone else some good? Yeah, like I, I, like that. I at one point went to a uh, a thrift store and found a bunch of copies of Stephen King's On Writing. Mm-hmm. And I happen to know a lot of people who were just starting their journey in writing. Okay. And so what I did was I bought all the copies. Nice. And then I said, oh, you would really like this book. And they're like, well, I'll get it back to you. No, no need. This, this, is copy, this copy was purchased for, with you in mind. Um, and I did that for multiple people because I thought this is a book that I personally enjoyed and thought other people would too. And turns out I was right. My son loves that book. Um, the first school I taught at had that book as one of its um, required reading for certain classes. And I said, you know, there's a lot of um, questionable content that parents might uh, balk at. They said, oh, yeah, we don't teach that. We teach excerpts from the book. It's like, oh, well, that that's that's wise. <laughs> Yeah. I wish I'd thought of that instead of sounding like an <laughs> idiot just now. Yeah, I, just, I can imagine keeping just like copies of one of my favorite games just to give to people. Right. Um, and that's, you know, one of those things. If you have the capability of doing that, because I have a friend who sells games a lot. But he doesn't really need the money. He just sells them and gets the money so he can buy more games. And occasionally he'll just say, I'm going to sell this game, but I don't think I can get a lot of money at it. Here, you just take it. I'm like, uh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it's a hit. Sometimes it's a miss. But um, he says, well, if you don't like it, if it ends up not being your thing, either give it away or sell it. I don't care what you do with it. Yeah, moving and, on, basically. Right. Um. And a lot of the games I still have in my collection, and a handful of them, I'm like, meh, no, not me. Yeah. And those games go bye bye, typically in the in the form of a trade for another game. <laughs> and there are people who buy games just to sell them in trades, right? Which I find, you know, that's madness. But you know, that, you, yeah, you, I was man. thinking that, but it's. It's it's smart because you're basically trying to find a like you're going and you're finding the deals right, and you're keeping the deals and then you're turning that deal into the deal that you wanted for the game you wanted. Okay, I say that's madness, but I did the same thing when one of our friends had a game company and he was uh, he was just decided it was not his thing anymore. The business was doing great. He just wasn't feeling it anymore, and uh, he did, yeah, and so I got all his copies of Schaffhausen because the company that was actually selling them had sold them for just dirt cheap prices. He said, I'm going to sell these games for cost. I said, okay, cool. How much are they? He said, I got them for 75 cents. I just stopped and stared at him. I said, is that how much you're selling them for? He said, yeah. I said, how many copies do you have? Oh, 10. I'll take all of them. <laughs> Here's and, $7.50. 
oh my god, I got so many games in trade from that. I sold so many of those copies. And he was like, how? I couldn't move these copies at all. How did you do it? <laughs> I went on Board Game Geek and found a bunch of people who turned out really wanted the game, and I made my deal. Yeah. Because remember, that's my shtick. I'm really good at those kind of games, the wheeling and dealing kind of things, which is really weird because in real life, I couldn't sell my way out of a paper bag um, because I actually have morals, and a lot of salespeople will try to sell things to people who obviously don't need them or want them but can somehow convince them that they do need them or want them. And I'm that guy, whenever I'm trying to, trying to sell someone, someone will say, well, it doesn't really meet my needs because of this, that, and the other. And I'll, uh, in, in complete bafflement of people I work for, say, yeah, you know what? Based on your needs, you don't really, this doesn't really work with what you need. I'm like, yes, it does, because it'll make us money if it does. What are you doing? Being honest. <laughs> this, this does not compute. What the hell do you mean being honest? That there's no there's no cost benefit analysis in being honest. <laughs> I, I know. I'm but I'm a good person. <laughs> All right, Miracle on thirty fourth street. Right. He told I, them to go down the street to the other department store. That's right. And that would be me. I would be the guy who does that. And I and would be the guy and who you gets play fired. Santa. So right. it's perfect. Yes. <laughs> what was it? He, he worked for Macy's and Macy's. he sent him to Gimbel's? Yeah. 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 That's that good like, stuff. Why would you send them to our arch nemesis? Because they had what the person was looking for. You oh, don't. So convince them they want something else. But they don't want something else. They but they started this. talking about honesty being their business plan, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's one of my favorite moments in that movie. I loved that. I was like, see, that's me. That's what I would do. I wouldn't even have a moral quandary about it. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't either. In fact, you know, later on in life, I, you know, working for Borders Books and Music, and also you get these businesses who uh, price match. Right. That's... That's kind of that similar thing. Oh, well, if you can get there cheaper, then we'll just go ahead and give it to you for that price then. Yeah. We've kind of gotten off the topic, which we <laughs> We're way off the topic now. <laughs> um, but I knew this was going to be a rambling episode, Brian. I just knew it would be. Oh, I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm, I'm a rambling person. Lord, I was born a rambling man. Uh-huh. <laughs> Trying to make a living and doing the best I can. Well, yep. so... I think that at least for my part I've I've exercised some demons here even if it was just you know I needed to I needed to to vent it all out I needed to let it all go so maybe it's only therapeutic in that sense I'm hoping that it stirs discussion amongst listeners I'm hoping that that we generate some discussion about this in our various chat areas um but it it's like I said, I have no answers. I've not come to any conclusions. And if our listeners want to discuss this further, they can go to the forums. But I'm telling you, there are a lot of geek therapy creators and fans over on the Discord channel. And I've joined that recently because, you know, I've usually been too busy and thought, I don't have time for that kind of chatting. But good God, it's awesome over there on the Discord channel. It does. It doesn't hurt that I I had the idea to create an emotional support channel. I mean, you know, bragging rights. Um, it's gotten a lot of movement, and we're creating new discussions every day. And hopefully, this will become one of them. Come join us on the Discord channel for Geek Therapy. Absolutely, and that's uh, geektherapy.com forward slash Discord. What I'll say, you know, there's a difference in in the forum and in the Discord. And yeah. so I, I just as we're closing here I'll just say this the forum is a place to really go in depth into a discussion point. Yes. So you might take some time and almost uh, write a blog post about an episode or about your thoughts about an episode it might it's a, something a little deeper. The Discord group is a in the moment place to express yourself in an environment of people that are incredibly positive, incredibly accepting. 
You know, in terms of, of Carl Rogers' person-centered therapy, that's the person-centered place to go to and be yourself with a bunch of other people who are being themselves, but we're all doing it in a respectful fashion. Um, I love those guys. I love everybody on the Discord, and I, I find that I shy away from use of the forum simply because I don't have a lot to say in the moment. I just have a quick soundbite to add. You know, I, I want to... But there may be times that I want to go really in-depth with something, and that's the time I think that the forum is valuable for us as as a group. I'd also like to point out I've been tweeting a lot more on our tw- our, tw- our t- Twitter channel. <laughs> we are at Roll for Change if you want to keep up with us, and I'll try to continue to bring in some content there, and uh, hopefully you'll you'll see some more of us as we move forward here into this new step in our life this for us being a new house but new step being i'm trying to be much more regular with our podcast so please come check us out and and also email us we are gamers at rollingforchange.com so there you go well uh thank you brian for hanging out with me and talking about this and no problem uh, I, I think we'll we'll probably continue this discussion in a future episode, but for right now, I, I think we can let it go. <laughs> All right. So now you're now you're throwing some cowboy mouth back at me with Jenny says. Okay. <laughs> so what are the lyrics there? Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Okay. When the world is coming down on me. I let it go. Yes. There we go. Yeah. No, so, let it go. Not lots there of songs go. about letting go. Yeah. I like most of them, yeah. If anybody knows Cowboy Mouth, that's the song they know them for. I, I know practically every song they've ever put out, but, you know, super fan right here. Yep. All right, Cow- well, thanks, Brian. Yeah, Cowboy Mouth music, by the way, if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, the majority of their music is a lot like Robin Williams' oeuvre, where it's about living in the moment um, enjoying the now, planning for the future, and letting go of your past. Um, yeah. And living in the moment and being glad to be alive. Even their breakup songs are not about, oh, woe is me. It was, well, the relationship's over. Time to move on with my life and go have some fun and be glad that I'm still alive. So their their music, whenever I was at my lowest, helped save my life a great many times. So I will probably always be a fan and i've got to learn more yes i will educate you child excellent excellent (laughs) all right so uh thanks for talking to me brian we'll we'll come back in uh a week or so with another episode of rolling for change but thanks so much for listening and uh you know keep on rolling. rolling for change for change You've been listening to Rolling for Change, a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. If you want to geek out and do good, please check out geektherapy.com or join us in the Discord group. That's geektherapy.com forward slash Discord. If you'd like to join us for a podcast or if you have new ideas to discuss on Rolling for Change, we welcome your feedback. Send email to gamers at rollingforchange.com. Our theme music is a song called Galileo by Rocket Scientists and can be found on their album Refuel. For more information about the band and to pick up more of their music, please go to thebandcamp.com. Once again, thanks for listening and keep on rolling for change.